in Prague, there stands a church about this size. Except uh, this church in Prague was built 600 years before ours. And in the church in Prague is this artwork that was painted on the walls in the 14th century. And it was quite a contrast, some of the paintings on the wall. One painting was Jesus walking barefoot. And next to it, the Pope riding a horse. One was Jesus washing the disciples' feet. In another painting, the Pope having his feet kissed. The first priest in this chapel in Prague, Bethlehem Chapel, was a man named John Huss. And as these paintings contrasted Christ and the Pope, Huss lamented the corruption in Rome and called on the church to confess its corruption. In England, around the same time, there was another John, John Wycliffe. And he said things like this, Rome and its labors, it labors in magnificence, while Christ lives in poverty. Christ refused temporal dominion, while the Pope seeks it. Both Johns, Huss and Wycliffe, lamented the corruption of the church, its marriage to power, to money, and to the world. They were precursors that came a hundred years before Luther and Calvin and the Reformation that lit a fuse in Europe. But they helped lead the church into repentance and confession for the ways that they had fallen short. And it changed Christianity in the centuries after. Today, we're going to see another priest lead his people to confession and expose corruption at the highest levels. Through this priest's lament, there was national repentance in the land and confession. So the question for us this morning, do we dare ourselves see the seriousness of sin? Do we dare be led into confession as the church? It led to the restoration of Jerusalem in the 5th century BC. It led to the Reformation in Europe in the 15th and 16th century. Could it lead to restoration right here in the United States? in our church in the 21st century. Shall we find out? Should we read together? It's an exciting passage. Some of us might feel we get bored by the Bible. This is good stuff. So Ezra chapter 10, it's printed in your worship guide. Follow along, there'll be a little call and response at the end. Hopefully I will not butcher the names. They're a little harder today, this morning. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, 
a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel. For the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra. We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God and put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do as had been said. So they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the chamber of Jehonan, the son of Eliashab, where he spent the night neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. And a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem. And if anyone did not come within three days by order of the officials and the elders, all his property should be forfeited, and he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth month on the twelfth day of the month, and all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra, the priest, stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so. We must do as you have said. But the people are many, and it is a time of heavy rain. We cannot stand in the open. Nor is this task for one day or for two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times, and with them the elders and judges of every city, until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. Only, only Jonathan, the son of Ashael, and Jehaziah, the son of Tikvah, oppose this. Meshalem. And Shabbatai, the Levite, supported them. Then the returned exiles did so. Ezra the priest selected men, heads of fathers' houses, according to the fathers' houses, each of them designated by name. On the first day of the tenth month, they sat down to examine the matter. And by the first day of the first month, they had come to the end of all the men who had married foreign women. The word of the Lord. We're just joining us. Welcome. We're going through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah this fall and this winter. And here we are closing the book of Ezra. These books come into three cycles. And really it's three cycles of restoration and reformation. We have to remember these Israelites were exiles in Babylon. And 70 years prior to what we've read, they had come back to the land, 40,000 of them, to rebuild the temple. And that was with Zerubbabel. Now we are into the second wave, 70 years later. And it's not led by a builder or a political leader, but instead it's being led by a priest. 
a man that knows the law. The man as a priest, an intermediary between the people and God. And he took 5,000 people from Babylon back into Jerusalem, the 500-mile journey that took months. But again, his goal wasn't restoration of a building or a walls, as we'll see as we get to Nehemiah, but instead is a reformation of the law and a reformation and restoration of the people. The goal set out to him was to appoint magistrates and officials that the people would follow the law. And he was given authority to punish if people did not by this foreign king, Artaxerxes, the Persian king. The question again is, how are things going in Jerusalem 70 years later? How are things going with these 40,000 that have come back into the land? And right away, as Ezra comes back into Jerusalem, we see how it's going. So again, Ezra has entered the land in 485 B.C., August. And he finds out from his officials, his magistrates and officials, that he's appointed, that the people in the land, the 40,000 that had come back, these exiles 70 years earlier, had started marrying the men and their sons, marrying the Canaanites and the other foreigners that lived in the land. That might not seem very serious to you, but we see how serious it was to Ezra right away. Ezra goes into serious lament mode. In chapter 9, which we did not read, we read that when Ezra hears about this, he starts pulling out his hair, tearing his garments, pulling out hair in his beard, falling to his knees. It says He's appalled twice. Why such a demonstrative response for the people of Israel marrying foreigners? Is this a racial thing? Is this a nationalism thing? Is this a xenophobia thing among the Israelites that, oh, we can only marry our type? No. You have to remember important to look through church history and also the Old Testament. Moses married Zephorah, a Midianite. Boaz, in the book of Ruth, married a Moabite, Ruth. And Boaz is in the lineage of Jesus. The issue is not race or culture. The issue is marrying someone that follows a different God that worships a different God. Zephora, Ruth, others throughout the Old Testament that were foreigners came into Israel and would worship the God. And God said, go out and make sure that they would come into Israel and be part of the people, that Israel be a light to the nations. So the issue was not race or culture. The issue is the marrying of these foreign wives was causing these families tear their allegiances from Yahweh, and to have loyalty somewhere else. Come on, Ezra. Don't be a prude. 
I mean, this is the 5th century, you know, the 5th century B.C. These are new times. This is love. So who cares if someone has a different religion? It's not a big deal. Let us go ahead and marry foreign wives. Why are you making such a big deal about this? Oh, how the times do not change. In Ezra, in chapter 9, if you've read it, you see why he thinks this is such a huge deal. He says, we are still paying the consequences of this same mistake we, have, we had done before. The reason that we were in slavery in Babylon, the reason that we were exiles is because we compromised God's law by marrying people that worshipped other gods and idols. Even marrying into cultures where they sacrificed their own children to their gods. If you've been with us as a church, when we went through Judges, we see the problem with Judges as it got worse and worse is because the people of Israel started marrying foreign gods. And then as we went through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and 1 Kings and 2 Kings, the reason it got worse in Israel, and Israel was taken over by Assyria, and then Judah was taken over um, by Babylon, is because the people had been compromising by marrying foreign people and uh, um, just going with their gods and their people and then compromising Yahweh and what he had called them to do. And in Ezra chapter 9, you see the lament of Ezra gets worse. He's praying to God. He said, would you not be angry with us until you consumed us? So there should be no remnant nor any escape. O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just. If we were left a remnant that has escaped as it is today, behold, we are before you in our guilt. For none can stand before you because of this. Ezra sees the troubles that they are in currently is because of what they've done in the past. And now they're repeating it again. And he is lamenting so great because he wonders, will God just say, forget my people. They are no good because they continue to live in sin. And he's saying, God, you are just to look at us in that way. This is such a threat to Israel. We saw through all Ezra 1, all the way to here, Ezra 9, there were threats externally. Other um, nations that could war and could attack Israel. But now the greatest threat, as we see the end of the book of Ezra, is not external, but is internal. How these people are living. What they are doing. And this is where it gets so interesting. Ezra, in the beginning of chapter 9, is using I and I language as he pulls from his beard and pulls his hair. I, 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 this is what he did. But then he moves later in the chapter to we. We, God, have fallen short. We have sinned. We have married foreign gods. We have done this. And I wonder, Ezra didn't marry a foreigner? Ezra didn't do this? Why does he say we? Why does he lump himself in with the people? This is a great priest. 
One that takes the sins of the people. He realizes even though that his brothers and sisters have been the problem, even people he hasn't maybe seen in 70 years, their sin is affecting the whole nation. Even if he did not do it. Something that we call in classic theology, corporate sin. Something very hard for us individualistic, individualistic Americans to buy into. Why should I have to pay the consequences for someone else's sin? That's a debate for another time, but I'd love to have that discussion if you ever want to. Again, what makes Ezra a great priest? He is representing the people to God. And he's crying to the Lord about their sin, the corporate sin that they are all taking on. There's something about this. This man that knows the law so well, that lives it out as we saw earlier in this book, he sees something that they do not see. They are blind to seeing the consequences of the sin and how it will affect Israel and how it could lead to its demise. He sees something they don't see. You know, there's another man that wept for his people. Another priest that was a greater priest than Ezra. That when he came into Jerusalem, he wept and wept. In fact, they called him a man of sorrows because he wept so much. And he wept for his people and he said, Oh, Israel, Jerusalem, how I would gather you like a hen into my arms. And much more than Ezra, this man never sinned. And never was responsible for any of the sin. But he took it on himself. And he wept for his nation and for the sin of the people that they would see their blindness. See, Ezra's weeping, it was a catalyst for the people to start confessing their sin. Here's a man that traveled 500 miles that had the power from Artaxerxes to condemn and kill people for disobeying the law. But instead, he cries out and laments for his people and says, We, we, we. Over a year ago, I saw an interview uh, actually, kind of just a, a press, uh, the press was all there, and this woman was speaking. Her name was Julia Blake. She was the mother of, mother of Jacob Blake, the man shot in Kenosha. That caused many of the riots and problems in Kenosha. Here, this African-American woman 
stood in front of the press, in front of the national media. And she had all the right to say, I blame the police for what happened to my son. I blame the city of Kenosha. I blame white people. But she didn't say you. Instead, she said we. She on national TV wept for us and said to all of us, we need to confess. She prayed for the police. She prayed for her African-American neighbors to stop the violence. And she called for all of us to repent of our hatred, our biases, and turn to the Lord. In tears of repentance, she called for us to confess. Does that move us? Or do we say, it's your problem? Or do we see corporate sin? What would move us to see our sin? What would move us to confess? What if there was one that cried out for us? One that could have destroyed us, that had come to this earth from heaven, that could have had all the right to destroy us. But instead, he cried out for us. And unlike Ezra, he just wasn't a man of the word, he was the word. And just like Ezra, he didn't just cry out for our sin, he took our sin. Would that lead you to confession? That Jesus Christ did that for you? He didn't just tear out his beard or pull his hair. He went to the cross for us. Here's the thing about sin. We are many times blind to its effects and destruction. And we need the word to expose what we can't see and see its seriousness. The marrying of foreign wives was clear to the Israelites throughout the Pentateuch from Numbers to Deuteronomy to Exodus, it was told over and over again, do not do this. Don't do it, but they do it. Something that was clear in the law for them not to do, they do. Is there something clear? Something that we should not do that we end up doing? That we are blind to seeing. I could name many things. But maybe one thing I'll just point out this morning is the Sabbath. 
It's something that we seem to ignore. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's something that God calls us to honor repeatedly. Jesus brings up repeatedly. That we would set a day apart to worship the Lord. Do you ever wonder what it's doing to us that we do not take Sabbath rest? Do you wonder why we are an anxious age? Do you wonder why we are worn out or maybe depressed? That we do not trust the Lord to work in our lives and to give a day to him, to worship him, to rest. Maybe something to think about. Oh man, this is going to be long. He hasn't even got to chapter 10. He's just reviewed chapter 9. I have good news for you. I'm just going to review chapter 10 as application. And we're going to see how chapter 10 can be applicable to us that we might live lives of repentance. And I'm going to give three action points, okay? I don't often give three action points like this, so here you go. Here's three. Number one. To live in lives of repentance, we have to, one, confess our sin. Number two, we have to see the seriousness for change. Number three, we have to have a plan for action. Here in chapter 10, we are given again the picture of Ezra weeping outside of the temple. And because of this weeping, the great assembly comes and weeps with him. And then one man speaks for the people, and he admits, we have sinned, and he addresses the sin by name. We have married foreign women. The first step is naming it and confessing it. It's not just ambiguous, oh, help me with this. It's naming the issue. Lord, I confess my laziness, how I seek pleasure over serving others, how I am addicted to video games, how I am addicted to surfing the web, Lord, how I am addicted to alcohol. Lord, I confess my despair and hopelessness. Lord, I confess that I am critical of others. I am a cynical person. That I spend most of my life sorry for myself or angry at other people. Lord, I confess my sexual sin, adultery, pornography, sleeping with someone outside of the bounds of marriage. Lord, I confess my greed, how I hoard my own funds. I do not give my first fruits to you. Naming it. Oh, how painful it can be digging at these wounds that some, for some of us are lifelong struggles. I love 
this in verse 2. He names it, we have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But here it is, but even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. It is beautiful that even in that place, even in admitting the sins of Israel, they have hope that God will not leave them, that he is after them, that he will help in their changing and in their transformation. That in spite of this law that says do not marry foreign women, they've seen the destruction of it, there is still hope. But it doesn't stop at confession. There next is a soberness in what needs to be done. So there in front of Ezra and at the temple, they have a covenant and make an oath that they would put away these foreign wives. Now I could probably spend the next 20 minutes about this act. There is long debates in church history about Ezra calling for the divorce among Israelites and their foreign wives, and much ink is spilled about this. So I want to say this is not prescriptive for us today. Okay? In fact, 1 Corinthians says, if a Christian is married to a non-Christian, that they should stay married to them in hopes that in their holiness that that non-Christian would come to faith. I think this situation is a unique situation. That the Israelites have been turning to idolatry and major sins. And this is the way to get away from that, to remove themselves from these foreign gods, to divorce these wives that, that were not turning and would not turn to the Lord. And they had to get rid of it, remove themselves from these people. There is continued soberness in this decision. Ezra goes off to pray and think about this, about what decision needs to be made for the people. And then they are gathered together. And you can just picture this in your mind. Here they are in the temple, the temple courts. They are gathered together in the rainy season of Israel in December, where it's probably a lot like our fall, talking 40 degrees and rain, and they are outside in the rain. And here they are outside the temple, temple trembling, literally trembling, probably from the rain, as it's mentioned here, and maybe the cold, and they are trembling because of the seriousness of their spiritual life in front of God which the temple is, being in the presence of God. And they are weighing this. They're weighing what it takes to give this up, to confess together and break from this sin. Some of us in our confession need this soberness and seriousness. And this divorce from idolatry. 
some of us, if we're in our right minds, realize that some of the things that we are doing in our lives are destroying us. And here, I'm not setting up laws that we all have to do this. I'm saying that some of us in our situations need to do this. Some of us need to dump all the alcohol in our house down the drain in front of a sponsor. Some of us need to take the video game council in our house and we need to throw it away and tell someone about it. Some of us need to put blocks on our computer and get different safety precautions and allow people to put blocks on our computer like covenant eyes so we will stop looking at pornography. Some of us need to end our relationship with a non-Christian and tell someone it is over and have that person hold us accountable to it. Some of us need to turn off the news because it is making us angry people. Some of us need to delete our social media accounts. We need to get rid of Instagram, get rid of Facebook, get rid of Twitter because it is turning us into envious, horrible people. And it is destroying our hearts. Some of us need to have someone look at our budgets. Because we are spending way too much. Or we are not giving enough away. And we need someone to look at our finances and give us accountability. Israel trembled in front of God. They trembled because they knew this would destroy them. Some of these things are destroying you, destroying us. But in God's holiness, in his being set apart, we see his infinite love. His grace for his people, that he sticks with them and loves them. Hear me. I know some of these struggles and how painful they are for some of you. Years and years of struggle with these sins. There is a God that is with you steadfast in his love that you can tremble in his sight because of his love to bear with you as you get rid of these things. He is a good God. He is with you when you delete these things. Not out of his shame. He is not like this going, oh, it's about freaking time. No, he has his arms open and saying, it's about time because I have something greater for you. I love you. 
I want to be with you. I am greater. I love this next part. Ezra, you know, in his wisdom as being the leader, right? Let's get this done in a couple days, right? Okay. Let's do it right here in the rain. Gather your people. Who's done it? Two days. We'll be done. Uh, no. The people are like, I, I think it would be better if we appointed people to make sure this happens right. And you should appoint priests and Levites to go about it. And that's what happened. It took three months. But they did it. And I, you, we didn't read this part, but it names all the people. It names them by name. And it starts with the priests and the Levites who confess that they've done this. Confession of sin, seriousness of this confession and a plan of action. If you are serious about your confession and repentance, it's going to take time and it's not going to be easy. If you're going to want to work through this, it's going to take accountability, a plan, and help from others. That is what we are as the church. There are elders, community group leaders, men's and women's ministers, and leaders that want to come alongside you and help you in this. Not because we have it all together. I know our elders. I know our leaders of these groups. These are people that are relying upon the grace of God. And they too need his grace in their lives. But they want to help you in this and come alongside you. What a great grace that God has given us in the church that we have other brothers and sisters that have also been saved by grace to help you through a plan to get rid of some of these things. All of our numbers, we put our telephone numbers on the back of the worship guide and our emails. There should be no excuse. You can text me. You can call me. You can email me. You can call and text any of these people. And we want to walk with you in this. We want to help you break these things. Money, drinking, codependency, laziness, anger, despair, sexual addiction. You know, you might have seen a theme that we've been preaching through Ezra. It's a theme that we hear much in our age. I want to change the world. I want to change our nation. I want to make a difference. You want to make a difference? You want to change this nation? You want to change this world? 
Repent. Even in things you think are too heavy and too deep, repent and turn and let God work in your life. And when that happens, it will cause revival. It will change this nation when we turn. It will change this nation if we finally look at some things we're blind in and turn from them and get serious about it and have a plan all on the reliance of his grace.